Let's get it poppin' as we pop back into the Bitten Peach pod. Thank you for coming into the space. I'm welcoming you into the experience, the audio, visual experience. Yes, you heard me say visual. I'm gonna be filling your ears with sounds and sights today. If there's anything vital that you need to see, I will be describing it with the magic of words. If you've just joined us for the first time, then you don't know what this is and you're confused, but that's okay. I'm here to usher you into the experience. As I said, this is Bitten Peach Pod, a podcast where queer Asian people talk. That's pretty much the whole concept. That's all we're going to do. We're going to talk. We're going to talk about our lives, our culture, our futures. And um, because we're queer and Asian, we're going to be talking about queer and Asian things, of course. But because we're queer and Asian, we're also allowed to deem anything as queer and Asian. Even if you don't believe that it sounds on, on a piece of paper, that's not queer or Asian. Let me tell you, we'll tell you what is queer and Asian. We are the experts in this area. And who are the experts that are going to be educating and entertaining you today? I am Shay Shay. I am a non-binary, half Japanese, half Irish American. Oh my goodness, what is that? But I am coming at you live from London town. I'm a writer, director, drag performer, artist, producer. I'm one of the founders of the Pan-Asian Cabaret Collective Bitten Peach, which is how this podcast originally came to be, how it was birthed, how the peach emerged from the pod. And our other juicy peach popping in with me today is a activist, a artist, one of the co-directors, if I'm not mistaken, of Colors Youth Network. Colors Youth that we're going to get into today. We're going to talk about the youth. We're going to talk about the color. You also are, uh, you work with gendered intelligence, which we were just talking about before we started recording the pod. I'm kind of peeling back the curtain for you now. We were talking before this very moment, everyone. Shocking, I know. And um, you're also part of like a queer inclusive Muslim organization, the Inclusive Mosque. Is that, are all those things, you've given a freaking TED talk as well. So we're gonna have to get into all of this experience. So please welcome into your earlobes straight into your earlobe. I'm going to pierce your earlobe with the beautiful Saba Chowdhury. Boop, boop, boop. I'm peeling back the curtain and stepping into this podcast. And for your audiovisual description, I can tell you at the moment, Saba has the biggest, whitest smile that I've <laughs> seen in my entire ding dang life. A very curated amount of face stubble, almost beard. It's a very short beard. Uh, curly hair, septum piercing, curly hair that's like just uh, almost reaching the neck length, an orange Adidas hat, and in the background we even have a little handmade bunting. So it's a very celebratory day today here on the pod, and I would love to welcome you in. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh my god, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I've been like taking bite after bite of every episode of mm-hmm. Bit and Peach. Mm-hmm. Okay, see, this is what I like. I like when people take the metaphors and just run with it. So we're just going to bite down into a juicy, firm, ripe peach together. It's going <laughs> to dribble down our chins, and we're just going to embrace the sticky experience. Okay, listeners, <laughs> sharpen your teeth. We're biting down in three, two, one. I don't actually know what was going to happen at the end of that. <laughs> thought I might yeah. have like a really killer question to kick in with, but I really, really do not. I was just going to make it like a chomping sound. Like, 
Oh, that's good. That's good. Okay, that's mm-hmm. good. Maybe I'll just let you do that. <laughs> so welcome, welcome, welcome. There's so many things that you do that you're a part of that I don't know actually where to begin. But we were talking about this bunting behind you, which you yes. told me was originally made for kind of an online thing that you were doing with gendered intelligence. Mm-hmm. So for the listeners, can you tell us what is gendered intelligence? So we are a national youth charity. We've been going for 10, more than 10 years now. And I started off there as a, as a youth worker supporting our group in London for young trans people of colour. Um, but we support young people from the age of about eight until 30 in London, in Leeds. And now we've got our, we're really expanding and curating our online youth service as well. Was that so what, kind of a lockdown situation of being like, yeah. if we have to put any, everything online, why don't we open it up to more people in the, in the, in the wider country? Exactly. Yeah. Mm. And we found that it, we could create more accessible kind of youth groups and we're including people who really need it who are in more isolated places who couldn't join us you know people from abroad we've had a young person attending regularly from switzerland some a young person who was really regular in london who's had to move back to america is still able to attend and have that support so Uh it's really amazing what we've been able to do so we're going to continue that chapter as well Um, and it's also you know benefits our youth workers and volunteers too right um, who have different access needs and um, in different areas of the country too. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, so one of the one of the elements of our online youth work last year was this um, digital residential that we did, and uh, because we often not often we we do a camping trip every year for our trans youth, which is yes, I've heard about this camping trip. Yeah, it's, it's uh, infamous. It's amazing. Um, it's a trans-only camp. All the volunteers, youth workers, young people are trans. We talk to the camping sites and make sure everybody is aware of uh, you know trans awareness. Mm-hmm. This is how. This is what we. This is who we are. This is what we need. Um, and uh, it's just. It's like create. We create a ta- trans utopia. Literally, like we build it because we take. It's a proper. It's proper camping with the tents and the pegs and the mud and stuff no oh you had me until you (laughs) said mud you know i i grew up as a camper but i grew up in california where camping is is typically maybe chilly in the evening but like it there's no you don't camp in the rain there's no mud i oh it's it's a totally different concept here when i started going to festivals here and you have to camp and there's mud the process of getting in your tent without getting your muddy wellies into the tent is probably one of my least favorite things on this world. There's like racism, transphobia, <laughs> getting into a tent with muddy boots. Oh my God. Yeah, it's it's impossible. There's that awkward like little dance and shuffle you have to do where your, where your feet are sticking out and then they yep. get wet. And, uh, but um, I don't, I don't actually... I don't actually like camping that much. <gasps> um, Shots fired. So every, everybody knows this. I don't like camping. I hate fire. Um, and there I am camping every year. You hate fire? I really don't like fire. It's, why does anyone like fire, actually? This is the question I have to say about Okay, like, let's dangerous. get into it, okay? I want to talk about fire. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. Prometheus, bitch. That's why. <laughs> that is human. Humans are a civilization was built on fire. But that's true. not why I like it. I like I like the the look of 
the very base of the flames that are like bluish mm. and the way that coals kind of glow and change that reddish color. Yeah. I just think that's so beautiful. And have you ever made s'mores? Do you make s'mores camping? We, the collective we did, but I don't because I also don't really like s'mores. Oh no, I'm such a bad camp. I, I know you're I'm a bad, bad camper. camper. I know. You're I very know. camp, but not good at camping. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm that person who brings the inflatable mattress along. Oh, absolutely. You have to be that person. Okay. Yeah. If that's... you're not that person, you're not camping right. <laughs> yeah. I once went camping. Um, so back in California, when I was at university, we went camping with a group of my friends. We drove out to the desert, which is like only a few hours inland from San Diego. And we wanted to find these things called the wind caves that are literally like these caves and caverns carved out by the wind. It looks very Star Wars other planet-esque. Wow. So we got there kind of late in late into the evening. The sun was going down, but the moon and the stars are so bright in the desert that you can see it's, it's almost as bright as like a, a dusk daylight. And we were like, okay, the cars can't go any further. They started getting kind of like stuck in the sand. And we're like, we don't want to get a car stuck. We're in the middle of nowhere. Let's get out. Let's pack the essentials in the bag. Let's find these wind caves. Then we'll get the rest of the stuff. So we packed up our stuff. For us, the essentials was like cheap beer. And that's about it. <laughs> and we camped out into the desert for like an hour and a half. And we're okay. going past, there's all these lovely trees and boulders. We're like running up the top of hills to try to see like, oh, it's that way. It's that way. After about an hour and a half or more, we were like, okay, we're not going to find these wind caves tonight. We should just camp somewhere. But oh my God, we don't want to go back to the car now. We have our sleeping bags. Let's just sleep under the stars. Oh, stupid, stupid. Especially because we found out later, much later, we'd picked this kind of clear valley that was a bit lower. We were like, this, this seems safe. There's no, there's no trees or anything. It's flat. Turns out that's a flash flood zone. So if it had started raining, we probably all would have been washed away. Oh my God. So in the morning when we wake up, first of all, we realize all the trees around us have actually been cacti the entire time. Everything was a cactus. Every single <laughs> shrub was a giant spiky cactus. <laughs> and once the sun came up, we went up to the, like the top ledge near where we were. And we looked and we're like, oh my God, the cars are right there. The cars were about a 20 minute walk away, but we walked for almost two hours. So the desert is a weird liminal space. Wow. I will tell you that. So um, I think you would have had fun doing that camping. <laughs> oh my God. I think you would have had fun. Every, every horror movie I've ever watched is like flashing through my mind right now. I'm alive to tell the tale at least. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Oh, so the, um, the bunting, uh, was one of the activities we did on this, uh, on this digital residential, as it's a, it's a very, it's a staple of, of camping trips, I guess. Is yeah. it? To de you know, decorating your tent and putting things Okay. Up. This feels very British to me. Like yeah. <laughs> the, the, even the term bunting. Yes. We don't have that term in the US. For, for our non-British listeners, bunting is the, the little triangular flags that hang on a string that you kind of put up for like, I don't know, feel festive, like a circus. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I once, um, I threw a party at Dawson Superstore once that was cow themed, like cow, cow print themed. Mm -hmm. And I wanted some like cow decorations, but everything was so expensive. So I bought these really cheap, like tablecloths that were cow print. 
and I cut them into triangles, attached it to a ribbon and made my own cow bunting that I put up all over Dawson Superstore. And it looked pretty great. It, oh, it looked pretty great. <laughs> that's incredible. Was it like just this your standard black and white cow print? Yes, it was standard black and white cow print. And I was wearing a set of chaps and a little bikini top that was actually not your standard cow print. It was more of like a beige and dark brown cow print. Because mm. like famously, cows are more diverse than just black and white. Yes, cows sure. are a spectrum i think people forget <laughs> that so you mentioned that when you started working with gendered intelligence you were focused on uh trans people of color the trans mm-hmm. youth of color and is that maybe one of the impetus or reasons why you kind of have now created another amazing organization that's more focused in that same area mm. it's a good question and I think a lot of my kind of work and interest in communities of color has really just come from the fact that I am a person of color and like it's mm-hmm. been more for me trying to find a space where I can talk to other LGBTQ youth workers of color or be that person that I needed when I was a young person of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of accident, accidentally on purpose. And I think for a few people, you know, especially queer people of colour, the work we do is so aligned with our identities because it serves more more than just a function of work or something we enjoyed. It's so connected to what we need as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there's, there's the need, like, I think a lot of the time when people think about people doing work in kind of the youth sector or, or any sort of thing that's in the charity realm, outreach, social outreach, they think about oh, what what do the people need? What do the people that we service need? But what you're saying is there's also the flip side of that that can be just as powerful as what do you need? Why are you attracted to doing this thing? Yeah. Like when I think about some of the work that I've enjoyed doing the most, it's for, it's for kids. It's like being able to present gender diversity in a mm-hmm. big show for young people. And Yes, I think it's really good that they see it. And I think it's super, super important. And that's one of the main things that I think about. But I also think about the fact that nothing, no show I've ever done makes me happier than performing for a bunch of kids and being able to tell them about being gender fluid or non-binary and have it be, you know, just just part of the show, part of the story where it's not like, where you can just treat it as it is without making a huge, crazy big deal out of it. because. Hopefully, we're moving toward a point where it mm. is more just part of the culture, maybe. Mm-hmm. What yeah. are your thoughts? You're more tapped into, uh, I mean, how how this, how this how this area of gender diversity is advancing. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Are you seeing exciting progress? It's really hard. Uh, like, yes and no. Mm-hmm. Because, yes, like, you know, our youth service is expanding. You know, we have, we have more groups than we ever have, which um, is incredible. Um, we're having new young people coming through. We're keeping hold of like young people who have been here for years. Um, we're working with families, with more schools, with mm-hmm. more organizations. You know, people, not just trans people, people want to know how to, how to talk about gender diversity and explore it for themselves. At the same time, you know, last year, there were so many attacks on the trans community in like huge ways, you know, from our rights to, um, you know, massive kind of, um, you know, kind of smear campaigns and court cases. So 
so that's where the kind of yes and no is it you know but maybe that's just because our community is getting stronger and, and more visible and yeah it's i don't know it goes hand in hand isn't it yeah. it's like the more power and more visibility you have the more backlash there's going to be and you just have to kind of hope like that the the positive of the visibility outweighs kind of the vulnerability that it puts you up toward and that the power that you're able to hold and maintain and maybe even when you are attacked and you find ways to respond to it that will leave you stronger for the future i mean it's fucking rough as hell though yeah. like it's not easy there's no easy route no so we just we just keep keep doing what we're doing you know making sure we're looking after ourselves as a, as a youth team as a youth as a youth service as a charity you know i think we feel closer than we ever have even though we've all been seeing each other through screens because we're just like yeah this stuff is affecting us too like we're also trans we also have our various journeys in in you know in relationships to transition and healthcare so it's every yeah it really does feel like we're stronger and i i kind of hate to say it but in times of crisis and challenges like a community does get closer together mm-hmm. um not that i'm trying to find a silver lining because there isn't one um just uh, that's also the kind of feeling i've got from the past year yeah silver lining is not the right word but mm. there is something at least there is a bit of hope where it's like if a group of people go through something traumatic hopefully it's brought them closer together mm. if they at le- if they have to go through that shit at least they can have each other's back after that. We should hope. Yeah. And we're always going to be there. We're always going to be carving out spaces for trans young people and trans people to, 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 you know, to fall apart, to cry, to laugh, to have fun, everything. So you're trying to bend the future in the right direction through <laughs> all of your work. But I wanted to ask you more about Colors Youth Network because mm-hmm. it's, it's in its, would you say toddler stage? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. The fresh yeah. project. Tell yeah. us more. Tell me more. Yeah. So um, this actually started when I was living in the, the seeds were kind of sc- scattering when I was living in Brighton m- many years ago, eight years ago, maybe now. Um, obviously went there in my, in my classic lesbian dyke narrative, lip piercings, Mullet, let's go to Brighton. Yes, <laughs> classic, classic. <laughs> and um, I had just started working there. Uh, that was my first job as a, as a LGBT youth worker. And I was a, a diversity worker, um, which has its issues in itself because I was the only person of colour <laughs> um, and supporting all the youth of colour and all the uh, disabled young people and young people of faith as well. So a really huge job kind of on you know bordering on tokenistic yeah um, let, let's get the one the one diverse diverse person to handle all the diversity right yeah and and you know I, I, i'm able-bodied so there was this just it was a lot there was a lot missing from from this role so i needed i needed support and um i, I remember i had i had 
this is probably beside the point. But I had I had four supervisors because they were like, okay, well, you you have a supervisor with this part of your job and this part. Oh, and then you need a supervisor who's not white. So um, let's get you this person because that's part of your role. And it was just, it's it's like yeah, I can see there's you know you were you're building support around me, but it's also that this is just not this uh, the organization culture and structure is just not right. If this mm-hmm. if this has to happen, anyway, I keep going off track. Um, so. I was trying to look for other people who were like me, other LGBTQ people of color who were doing youth work. And not only was how it, how it, how it was for us supporting young people, but how we were interacting with the youth organization. So a friend of mine, um, knew someone in Manchester. <laughs> so right around the corner. Yeah. Just um, a hop, skip and jump away. Uh, called Chloe, um, who was also if not the only person of color or like one of two people of color in her organization um doing youth work as well so we we started talking and we had like a little youth worker exchange trip where i went up to manchester and you know kind of shadowed her work and we had fun and then she came down to brighton and um we just built this really beautiful friendship which was more than just professional it was about our you know personal development and just yeah just just getting to know each other and then we we got to know someone in Bradford who I knew through gender intelligence we did some training in Bradford mm. and this amazing person called Narina was leading this um working in the Bradford council and leading this awesome youth service and was just so radical and just just strong in her approach and you know me and Chloe were younger than are younger than her and she was just like just really gave us the strength and the voice to be like, no, you need to be asking for these things for your organization. You have the rights to get this for your young people of color. And mm-hmm. so we just had this really lovely, like triangle bond across the UK where we just were talking constantly about what we can do for our youth of color and supporting each other through it. So we had, so we, this is how we kind of created this network, um, which we called Colors Youth Network. Mm-hmm. And back then we were kind of doing it through our organizations, um, which gave us some security, you know, kind of paid for our travel expenses and you know we had time and we could feed into the organizations that this is what's going on but last last year we um we've also been joined by um someone called shy and soraya from uh who kind of represent bradford as well and birmingham and um, we've had other people from like sheffield and kind of a little bit of input from brighton so we really are the network is spreading yeah yeah and that's one thing that was really important to us because I am quite done with London being like the center of, of, you know, of community of, of England. And this, you have to move to London if you want to be a queer person of color and find others or something like that. It's, um, mm. you know, there's, there's so many more people we can be reaching and, and so much more we could be doing. So that's something I'm really passionate about. And then we decided to go independent last year after, I guess, just reevaluating our positions within you know, white majority, white led organizations and thinking, yeah. well, why, why aren't we just doing this ourselves? Like we have, we're all so, we're very skilled. We have so much, you know, 50 plus years of youth work experience between us. We have, Ooh, that's a big number. We have passion and we've got, we've already got a network and a community. So we just did it. <laughs> and um, it's been amazing because we're taking our time, which is one of the most, one of the biggest things I'm really grateful for is how slow we are taking this journey, like how slow our top toddler is kind of learning to walk to toddlers mm-hmm. already. I don't know the stages of 
Neither do I. (laughs) Come on now, whatever. This, (laughs) we're still just, yeah, we're still making sure, we're we're walking, we're crawling, I don't know, we're waddling. We're waddling, that was the word. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And just making sure that we are like a solid foundation for all this work to take off, like getting to know each other, figuring out what each other's kind of buttons are, Um, because we're friends, we've been friends for years, but we're going to get on each other's nerves, so where is it? Where are our kind of fault lines and what can we... And because you're spread across the UK as well, like you're you're not going to be able to often be in the same room where it's much easier to pick up on someone's feelings. Like what that, like if, if they're, if they're kind of, if, if there's something going on, it's easier to t- detect with someone in the room. When someone's on Zoom or in an email, it's, you know, so many things can get lost in translation like that, I find. Yeah. I find uh, it very difficult to do things all on the computer. I'm a very mm. in-person person. Oh, me too. You said something interesting about like London kind of having this, uh, this reputation as being like the destination. All roads, all queer POC <laughs> roads lead to London. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's like a handful of cities that have that going on, I think. And I definitely feel that like if I were to move, where would I go? I'd want to move to a city that has like a big thriving queer culture and not just queer culture, but a POC queer community as well. Mm. So I do love that, like that the idea is to disseminate that a bit more and that more, not even rule necessarily, but just not, you know, the country's capitals can also have communities that find ways to come together because we know it is known that we exist all over the damn place, Mm -hmm. but without places or structures or communities or organizations that kind of give you a place to congregate. It's like, how are you going to find those people? Yeah. They're not on the grinder. (laughs) I should also say that I am, I I live in West London, so I'm not just like here slating (laughs) Londoners. But That actually leads me to what I want to ask. And this is a question that I'm sure you've heard before, probably many, many, many times. I hope you (laughs) love this question as much as I do. It is. Um, but where are you, where are you really from? Oh my God. No, no one's ever actually asked me that before. What? (laughs) No, I'm joking. (laughs) I I I was acting right there. You really had me. (laughs) Thank you. I forgot to say at the beginning when I introduced you, actor. (laughs) um i think this question is hilarious in brighton it pissed me off so much that i just started to saying people oh are you asking me why i'm brown like and i would point to my hand i'd be like are you asking me why my skin is brown and then some people would get really uncomfortable and be like oh yeah no that's not okay is it and then other people who were just like super ignorant were just like yeah like tell me (laughs) oh my god oh god I'm yeah. glad you just straight up did it like that because <laughs> it's going to make a few of those people stop and think before they do it again. I hope so. I would yeah. hope. <laughs> um, so, yeah, where am I from? Um, I was uh, born in West London. I'm sitting in the house I have uh, lived in um, all my life. and Besides I... that brief foray into Brighton. Exactly, yeah. During so... the pierced lesbian stage (laughs) (laughs) we've all had it (laughs) I I think I I must have been in Brighton for about eight years but that was like kind of through yeah teenage to mid-20s years so I 
I did think about this. I was like, do I feel like I was from Brighton? And it may, it feels more closer to like my gender sexuality kind of identity. Um, mm. But I feel like, I, so I'm Pakistani and my... Yeah, I was really just asking, why are you brown? Like, <laughs> like can we just get... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and my, um, my mum and dad both have family back there and we used to go there quite often when we meet, I say we I'm talking about me and my, my twin sister we used to go there quite often when we were children uh, and we were very lucky and very privileged my dad worked as an engineer um, at British, Air, British Airways so we had the <gasps> privileges of being able to fly oh all I've ever wanted is a relative that works at an airline yeah, yeah. Mm, that free flight life oh baby girl that's what yeah. I want mm, yeah, yeah. And we, you know, we went to Pakistan for sometimes twice a year. We would stay there for like a month at a time. And it really feels like that was part of my childhood and growing up. Um, so I like to say that I like to kind of include that as part of my, where I'm from as well. Uh, yeah. The last time I went now was five years ago. Does yeah. your dad no longer work at British Airways? He retired. Um, and then he... Flights for life or No. <laughs> We we got flights for a while, yeah. It was like this really random age, like twenty two years old or something. You could get free flights, and I was like, "What happens at twenty three? Like, do you just not want to fly anymore?" Hi. Uh, <laughs> um, but and then my my dad passed away uh, last year. Oh, I'm so. really sorry to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. And you're back in your family home, though. This is where. Yeah. This is where yeah. you're at. Yeah, so I so part part of the reason why I, why I left Brighton and moved back here was to look after my dad. He had um, a lung disease uh, called pulmonary fibrosis, and which affected his mobility. And then after that, in the last three years of his life, he he got dementia. So the, the kind of and I and I was his primary carer, so that the responsibilities just grew a lot more. So. Yeah, it was just it was just me and him. Um, my my mum and dad are separated, and my sister lives um, not too far away. So, yeah, it was just us two in in our in our home. Yeah. Wow, that must have been a lot. Yeah, it, it was. It's well, it still is hard, you know. Um, yeah, to to kind of have such a close relationship with him. Um, I mean, sure, we argued, and we didn't always get on, but. You know, he was, he wasn't just my dad. He was like my housemate and like the person I spoke to every day. He was mm-hmm. my, my friend. And, you know, we, we did, we did things together. We got to know each other quite well. He was my supporter and advocate. Um, yeah. And to, I'm, yeah, I'm still kind of processing that. Absolutely. What it means to have lost all these different things. And, and that how- process will continue for probably the rest of your life. Like. My my mom lost both her parents at relatively younger ages. And, you know, it's still something that she is working out how to function. You know, mm. these are like the grandparents I never got to know, you know. So yeah. it's it's an ongoing process, much like our own gender identity journeys. They're never ending. For sure. <laughs> Isn't that fun? <laughs> um, so how was your, you said that your your dad was like, your advocate, your supporter. Was that true, a through line through your upbringing? Because obviously you weren't born in the gender that we are looking at today. No. 
Um, no, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, the the first conversations with my mom and dad were not not um, re- reflective of how how they feel about my gender and my queerness now, like at all. And actually, that's something I say to a few people who, especially from South Asian families, who are worried about coming out and mm-hmm. telling their parents. Like the first conversation is not the last, and it's it's a journey for sure. Um, you know. I think I thought my mum, my mum works in mental health and for, for years and years, she's got a, a really great understanding of, of just different people and differences. Mm. And I thought she would really get it. And my dad was more the kind of like traditional one. Um, and I was more worried about telling him. And, and I should say when I first came out as trans, I came out as a trans man. That was, I really, it wasn't, it didn't really, have the space to explore gender as like a fluid thing for myself so mm-hmm. that was how I came out and my mom actually took it worse than my dad and I it really shocked me because yeah I just I didn't really get it and but I, I understand now that for her it was it was quite personal because she's my mother she gave birth to to me and my, my sister and we've had even between my my sister you know we've had these shared identities as the girls you know the twins and Twins. Yeah. Twin and- culture is its own whole <laughs> thing. Now, you're not identical twins. No. But that didn't matter, did it? I'm guessing matching outfits. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, still, my mom still tried. But they did, my mom, you know, they did give me a lot of freedom with the clothes they wore. Actually, I remember we, we had, we have some family friends in Canada and we would go there and do this massive shopping trip. And I don't know if this is something other families did or if it's like a, a South Asian thing or, or something, but we would, my mom, I say we, my mom would buy so many things from the outlet stores and like, um, oh, yeah. we would cross over to Niagara Falls and oh, what's that area called? Um, they, where they have just loads of outlet stores and we would I, have, to- I mean, America has got them all over the place and a lot of them are right on the border so that people from over the border can come. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, we would buy so many clothes that we would have to buy extra suitcases to take them home. <laughs> oh, it, that's not just a South Asian thing. I yeah. can tell you right now. It, but it, it it might be partially an Asian thing. Right. I know that a lot of East Asians like to go and do a lot of shopping when they're abroad, fill an entire suitcase and bring it back. Um, I I've seen when I was when I did a summer abroad in Paris. Uh, I like I wanted to get myself a Longchamp bag. They were really in at the time, mm-hmm. and like everyone shopping at the Longchamp shop was like a, a tourist from somewhere in East Asia buying like dozens of bags. Oh my gosh! The budget. <laughs> uh, oh, so it was on one of these shopping trips where my mom, where I, where I bought like my first boys' clothes and shirts ah. and stuff. So I would always wear things that I wanted to wear most of the time until it came to the birthday parties or the weddings or the family get togethers and there's like an audience. Right. And then it's like, we were wearing the same thing as your sister, which was ridiculous because we were both, and we still are very different body sizes and shapes and weights. So it would never, it would never, it would just, it was like kind of like (gasps) just opposite land. Like she was, she's really slim and skinny and tall, a bit taller than me. And I was, I was overweight. I was fat and I, and I was shorter and just, it just, it just, it just looked, it was just like we it just, just accentuated the difference yeah. more than made you look similar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, you which know, is I find that th- like the the matching outfit thing 
I find so weird because it's like twins already are going to have so much the same in their lives. Why, why are they forced to wear the same outfit? Like it just blows my mind. And then on top of that, I used to live in the like traditional Orthodox Jewish area of, or one of them in London. And often in those families, like all the daughters and all the sons will wear like matching outfits, like each family, like, okay, today's the big day we're going out. Every girl's going to wear the same dress in different sizes. And part of me thinks it's like, well, it might make it easier for the parents to be like, that one's mine. That one, that one in that dress, anyone in that dress is mine. (laughs) Could you find any, anyone wearing this dress, bring back to me. I need to go. Yeah. Guess it might be a tactic. It might be a parenting tactic <laughs> more than a fashion choice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the comparisons between twins is a thing I've just really like kind of picked up on over the years. I was talking to like other twins, like, and I think just being different sizes, being different now, like genders kind of accentuated it more in some ways. Do you have twin psychic powers? I love you just like doing this pointy thing with your head. Yes, everyone. I was uh, for for you listening. I held my hand up in um my thumb and my pinky extended and I pushed it into my head as if psychic waves were coming. Do you ever get like a that so raven moment like oh, my sister's in trouble. I need to go. <laughs> uh I think it happened a few times when you were younger. But I also think like, you know, we've been literally together for years and years of our like from day zero we probably have a, just a good idea of, of each other <laughs> like you know if, I think if you spend that much time with anyone you would like pick up on when they were like hurting sure. or something um but we do have weird dreams about each other and then sometimes it's like oh yeah I was in a really bad mood or I was feeling really sad that day and you dreamt about this things about me so yeah I think there's, so there's something there okay okay yeah. interesting I, don't, I like to believe in a little bit of magic and sparkle and magic is everywhere it's <laughs> everywhere except for not in Harry Potter the magic in Harry Potter is dead and gone oh god truly rest in peace <laughs> um so you said, at, you know, your parents have come on, uh, a, they went on a journey of acceptance. But do you think some of that, because you said you, you've spoken to other South Asian families and stuff, that it is kind of like a process. And there was something I wanted to say about that. I listened to an amazing podcast called Nancy, which mm-hmm. is hosted by two. Have you heard it? Yeah, a couple of yeah. episodes, yeah. I loved it. Um, So Kathy, too, one of the hosts in it, in multiple episodes, has conversations with her mother and basically... Re comes out to her in all these different episodes and something that she kind of talks to the, talks to the audience very candidly about is like coming out is not like a one time go, especially in Asian families. It can be a process where, you know, you have to keep checking in with them because sometimes the discussion is, is shorter. You know, people aren't ready to really dive into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the good tips that she gave was like writing an email. That, that your parent has time to look over and like really read through and you can explain things more without being cut off. You can really explain how you feel and how you are and what you've known your whole life and things like this. So do, what I wanted to ask though was like culturally, religiously, wh- how was that pressure? Because some of that had to have been not only your parents' personal feelings, but the the concern of of the community at large, perhaps. I think, so yeah, for my mum and dad, it was also quite different things. Um, for my mum, I think, um, it kind of became a bit more about 
religion did it more so with her with her family and our relatives on that on her side mm. who probably are a bit more a bit more muslim can someone be more muslim does that make sense <laughs> like there is it's a spectrum yes it's a spectrum <laughs> yes i mean there's like there's casual muslims <laughs> and there's really strict muslims right yeah um before my dad i think it was more the cultural thing so like it and it's it's funny um what you say about well it's true what you say about it being conversation after conversation some are just very short one conversation with my dad i remember is i told him something along the lines of you know i want to transition to be a boy or this is this is who i am and he kind of paused for a second and then i was like so you can get married now because he oh, he always knew me as a lesbian and that I was into women and and that was who I would end up with but then in his mind he was like well now you want to be a boy so then you can be legally to get, get married, married to to women and and that was and that was what made sense for him and and that was and that was it kind of he wanted to know that I would be able to have like a quote unquote normal family life and uh-huh. do the traditional thing and get married um which is kind of it's it's funny and it's sweet um, when I look back on it, um, and that was it, I, and it really shows like throughout our life like he just really wanted to make sure that I was safe and stable and yeah, and secure and like yeah. gonna be able to have a life that felt safe and and at least kind of normal. I think a, a lot of queer par- parents of queer children on top of whatever other things they struggle with, there is such a fear that their child's life will be hard. And I mean, spoiler alert, it (laughs) is hard. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, there's a, there's a big fear in that. I mean, especially our parents age group, they grew up seeing the AIDS crisis happen. And I know that that's a big fear for a lot of parents. Maybe, maybe not as much today, I would hope, but the, you know, the fear is, gay child will get AIDS and die. Like Mm. that is unfortunately the scary, the scary idea. I'm glad that that is maybe changing, but yeah, but maybe not. That's it. Yeah. And, and I think on top of the, on top of nine 11 and, and, you know, growing up in, in uh, with the waves of Islamophobia as well, just added like another, another layer of fear. Um, Because it was often when, I was going, you know, the, the more I did more public speaking and I spoke more about my, my own faith and my dad would kind of ask if, if, if I was okay. And, you know, if I was wearing like my shawakamis or something and I was going out, he would just ask if, am I going to see other Muslims and where am I kind of going and hanging out? Will I be kind of, you know, visible or a target? So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, of course, the way that he expressed that didn't always come across in the most kind of, kind or understanding way but that is that's that's just him and that's how that's how like i think asian dads talk as well it's like it looks like i'm criticizing you for what you're wearing but what i'm actually saying is like are you going to be okay yeah there's concern Uh, but uh, uh, underneath it all the main thing is just concern yeah i say that all the time some people are like don't judge me i'm like i'm not judging you i'm just concerned (laughs) (laughs) so I would say, you know, one of the many facets of the, you know, omnipresent Islamophobia that exists in the West is the idea that Islam is super anti-queer, really anti-LGBT. 
But I know this to not be a hard and fast truth at all. And you might be able to, I would love if you could speak on it a bit more because you are a queer person of faith and you are part of this inclusive mm-hmm. mosque. Um, I was actually thinking about the conversations I had with my mom about religion and how it's a kind of tying in the last questions you've asked me. Because my mom, like when I came out as trans, my mom understood it and we have our conversations. And sometimes when we argue or get into a stuck place, it does become about religion. And then she does kind of bring up, well, it's, you know, if you went to Pakistan, you know, this, they would say this, or, you know, our, our auntie, this person who's really Muslim wouldn't accept it. And it's not in the Quran and da 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 da. But it's still, it just kind of, I think that's really reflective of what people think about how religion and queerness or being LGBT goes together in that it's just really, it's about a fear of, of something bigger. And I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to say. I No, I feel what you're saying. I mean, there's something about the fact that most of the big religions are assumedly against queer people, even if it's not specifically laid out. Yeah. And it, 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 I mean, it has to do with partially like just like tr- maintaining the structure and power of these establishments. But, but, but in a way that's like, it's so ingrained so deeply that that's not really what people absorb it as. Mm-hmm. It is just like, it's like, it once again, it's a place of concern. Yeah. It's like the worry for, your life and maybe in some religions, your eternal soul. Yeah. I think what I'm trying to say is that like religion isn't against LGBTQ people. Like people are against LGBTQ Uh people and religion becomes the kind of the vehicle to, to facilitate that or to, to to shield that or hide behind it. Um, Because, and this was part of my kind of journey back to Islam. You know, I, I was raised as Muslim, my mum and dad are Muslim, and I didn't really get it when I first started coming out as, or realised I was not straight, I came out as a lesbian, I was like, well, religion has no place for me, so bye-bye. I had my atheist phase. Yes, I was living in Brighton at that time. In Brighton, yeah. (laughs) Good place to be atheist. Yeah, Um, and then I... um, and then I, it was actually a conversation with, um, an ex-partner who was atheist and, and white and do her like misunderstanding and judgments on, um, about Islam and religion. I was like, actually, like, I don't actually think I align myself with this way of, of being. And I kind of do feel like there's a still a part of Islam that I'm still kind of attached to and maybe want to explore that. Um, so I, so I call it. I call it um, like a like a, re- a reclamation of of Islam. You know, I kind of came, I've come back to it, but I started learning about it by myself, <laughs> um, and also reading what LGBTQ people and women have to say about Islam, and from a perspective that wasn't just men or uh, cis cisgender men, um, yeah, or just just men, just not listening to men <laughs> mm-hmm. about about Islam and. Or ever, seeing, never. Listen to <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just seeing that it really is about interpretation, and it doesn't mean that there's. It's not about right or wrong. It's um, it's yeah, it's um, yeah. I'm not trying to find the right way to be a Muslim or the right way to 
understand this part of the Quran or I'm just, I'm just seeking, I'm just finding. And like, uh, and along the way, I'm going to disagree with lots, but I think there's such a beautiful part of religion, which allows for self-doubt or at least Islam anyway, you know, there's, this is a part of it. This is, you know, challenging and asking why and having doubts is completely a part of my journey in faith. So I welcome all these challenges and I, and I welcome that. And I, and I wish that it was a part of how many other people saw religion that, Oh, this, this doesn't agree with me. Like, I'm just going to say no. Like, what if it was, this doesn't agree with me. Mm, why is that? Where, where can I find a space within my Islam, which is heteronormative, cisnormative, patriarchal to make room for other people? Like, I just, I, when I say it like that, I'm like, isn't it just, it just sounds quite simple that you want your faith and religious community to be bigger and expand and you like, think. in theory, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. But in reality, a lot of the time, religions are actually really closed off, mm. which I think is against, I shouldn't say, because I don't have enough experience, but I feel like that's against what religions are at their core. And it's more of like a safety thing of like closing ranks. Mm. Yeah. So your little journey, as everything is, has changed a lot. So you you went from growing up Muslim, the girls, the twins, mm-hmm. to tatted, no, not tatted, but a pierced up lesbian atheist. I in- did get a, I did get a lesbian. I call it my lesbian star tattoo. It's behind my ear. Ah, uh, yes. Because there was a phase where, like, lesbians were just getting star tattoos. And... Uh, yes. Uh, famously, <laughs> the lesbian star tattoo era. Yes. <laughs> Legend has told of this time <laughs> in the culture. Yeah. Um. Then you came out as a trans man. Yeah. But we've said that that, that, that phase has also... There, there's been a new chapter since then. At least yeah. one. So I'm where involved. are you now? Not that this has to be your destination. It's just part of the journey. But where are we now? Oh, I love that. Um, yeah, I um, I think I'm... Oh, I, I actually really... I, I hate the questions where it's like, oh, so like, how do you identify? And I'm like, oh, I don't really know what words to choose anymore. But because I feel like a lot of the words I've been... Uh, like, I call myself are words that people have called me first. And then I'm like, oh, I guess that is what I am. So. Uh-huh. Somebody yeah, yeah, called me yeah, yeah. non-binary and I was like, oh, is that what that is? And then it just kind of stuck. But I think I probably feel a bit more comfortable with like gender fluid in that. Yes. I kind of, I feel very, yeah, fluid and move between, you know, masculine and feminine and, and male and femaleness. That um, is, and I, I, that is also where I feel comfortable, which is yeah. not a space. <laughs> yes. It's, it's not having to pin down to a thing. That yeah. I feel, I feel most comfortable being able to slip and slide up the gender spectrum. <laughs> yeah, and actually, I think I'm just realizing now. Maybe it's because I view my faith as fluid and my sexuality is also fluid. That it just kind of makes sense that my gender is also very fluid within that mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Okay, so I have a question. Thinking about this entire journey but maybe more like the developmental time which literally could still be happening and is we're all still developing all the time Mm -hmm. so who do you remember from your life as being either the first or just the most standout asian icon that you saw and you were like 
oh, okay, now either this could be me or this is a possible future or maybe I I could I could get with that one day. Uh. Oh my god, okay. Uh the first person this is a really this is a really like strange person to think of but the first person who was that for me was just was somebody I don't even know. I was watching a TV show and um I was I must have been like five or something and I was in my parents' bedroom and they have a TV and I just was just I just put on the TV and there was just it wasn't a show, sorry, it was like a documentary uh-huh. in into people having like sex changes back then and ah. all I remember was the scene of like this person who was Asian. I remember that. Don't remember their name or anything much about them and they showed this scene of them before receiving testosterone and doing some kind of like tests like Mm -hmm. um tests on their like reflexes and other kind of things and then after taking testosterone i don't know how much time had passed then doing the tests again and then they like talked about the changes and i was like oh my god like that's a thing like you can do that wow Um, representation matters y'all yeah and it was so and i just i just kind of kept this to myself and then it kind of disappeared over time as i like hit puberty and girlhood and that whole thing um but i really a a, a south asian person i really was drawn towards was Shahrukh khan who's yes the king of king Bollywood. khan <laughs> yes hala yeah um i we, we just watch a lot of bollywood in in my house um listen to a lot of hindi songs and i would dance with with my friends we'd do our own little like home music videos and uh. Love I would that. always, I would always play the role of Shah Rukh and like my friends would be like the 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 girl role, like Kajol or whoever it was at the time. Um, oh my so, god, yeah. she has one of the most beautiful faces on this planet. <sighs> yeah, um, he is like, oh, I've I've seen a few films with him in it. My personal favorite, and I know it's like very popular, is Cubby Cushy Cubby Gum. Mm-hmm. K3G. Epic. Absolute epic. Yeah, K3G. <laughs> <laughs> the acronym. Who when when what was the movie that you always returned to? Oh, it was Dilto Pagalha. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it a million times, but I don't think I've seen it. Unless I have. Wait, is it the one where No. Wait, does he have like a a, a lookalike that dies? No, that no. one I think is called duplicate um but this one is where he's a dancer is oh, oh my god it's been so long i forgot their names um but there's uh one of his dancers who's in love with him and then he finds a new dancer who's a more they're like kind of modern dancing and oh. then he finds a new dancer who's who does more traditional kind of dances but then they start having like a, a friendship and he kind of his attention gets drawn onto her and the other <gasps> woman is jealous but and let me guess cajol is in it as well no she's not in this one <gasps> it's uh is it madhuri Dixie un- and krishma uh, kapoor or something okay i i know these names <laughs> yeah they um and yeah they're just they're just beautiful in it and i think the part which attracted me to this film was that it was 
Um, Krishma Kapoor, if, if that is her name, you're going to tell me soon because I think you're Googling it. <laughs> she plays a bit more of a, um, like, she's not like a, t- like typically feminine in the film. She's a bit boyish. There's like this, Dilta you know, her clothing. Yeah. She's her in clothing. it, all right. Yeah. That's her. Not to be confused with Karina Kapoor, different, different person. Damn, she is light skinned, this Karishma Kapoor. Um, continue, yeah. continue, continue. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah, there's really not very much representation of dark skin South Asians mm. in films, especially mm. by then. And yeah, so I think, yeah, I think it was just like her, her character was just a bit more, a bit more kind of boyish and ah. she was a bit more abrupt and forthcoming and traditionally like the women are very feminine, very, very quiet, very like just, yeah, just kind of like smaller roles. But I think um, it was just something really cool about it. And the dancing was so cool and the outfits were amazing and the music was great. Oh. So it was kind of the like, was she like a tomboy in it or just like kind of a, yeah, a bit of a tomboy. Isn't yeah. there a film where Kajol is a like total tomboy? She's like a basketball player. Yes. <laughs> um, I've that's seen Kuch, that Kuch one. Kuch Kuch Kotahe. Yeah, I've seen yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was. Gender. Uh... They destroyed gender in one film. <laughs> and then a like. A girl played basketball. <laughs> right. And then like later on in the film for the rest of the rest of the movie, she's like in like her sari at all times and she's got like her long hair and she doesn't play basketball anymore until there's like this one see anyway i'm getting i'm just getting involved in it now (laughs) yeah i'm in it i'm in it with you (laughs) which actually because we're talking about popular culture this is the perfect moment where i need to take out the official queer asian pokedex which is Mm. a metaphysical item that i hold in my hand and this is right where, there. yeah, thank you. Tell the listeners, it's in my hand. It's big, it's heavy, it's 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 trans flag colored. <laughs> and it is filled with all of the most important Asian queer cultural artifacts that could be people, films, movies, foods, outfits, words, dance moves. And we, as you know, you and I, we are experts in queer Asian-ness as we are queer Asians. And it is our job you know, the very important job of compiling this Pokedex. So I would love, first of all, I think we need to add Karishma Kapoor's character in what was Dilta Pagalhe? Dilta Pagalhe, yeah. We're going to add her character in here. Thank you. That's in. But you now have the important and daunting task of adding at least one more item into this historic document. Oh my gosh. First of all, thank you. It's an honor to be part of curating this queer Asian Pokedex. I need you. I need you. Um, it's so it, it's not, ex- I, I like this, what you said at the beginning of the episode as well. Like things aren't explicitly queer Asian simply because we are queer and Asian. And that's something that I cannot remind myself of enough because I mm. think all the time, like, oh, it has to be like really obviously queer and Asian and like even this question now, but actually it's like, no, like, you're well, literally queer and Asian. Everything you I can do tell see. you exactly, exactly <laughs> everything you, you say because I can tell you right now. There's two Disney characters that have been inserted into the Pokedex. One of them is Esmeralda, and the other is Prince Eric. Neither of them canonically Asian, but <laughs> whatever. They have black hair, and it is a rule that all people with black hair must be Asian. 
I'm, tr- I'm thinking about this song that I feel like was the awakening of like <gasps> the tr- transiest thing in me when I was yes. a kid. Um, it's from the film. It's a it's a Hindi film. It's from a film called Bombay, and this was I think mid nineties or early nineties. And yes, ninety five. Um, the yeah. research team is on it. Thank you, research team. And <laughs> there's a song called Mukabala. That's M U Q. U-A-B-L-A. Hey y'all, it's Shay Shay just popping in with a little clarification. Turns out Makabala is actually from a movie of the same name called Humse Hai Makabala. Saba got this confused with a song from Bombay called Hama Hama, which is equally saucy. Mapa Street Dancer 3D Bombay Edition. Hmm. That's the remix. So That's the remix. Okay, I think I know the remix, to tell you the truth. I think it's yeah. on one of my party playlists, so... yeah. It's an iconic song. It has transcended the 90s. So tell us, what was it in this 1995 film, Bombay, that this song, Makabla? Makabla. Makabla. Yeah. This song is so saucy. The whole film is kind of saucy, but really like strife because it's about, it's about like the tensions in um, Bombay at the time, you know, and uh, this particular song this, this, there's a man in there and he's singing to this woman and it's so sensual. And he's just like, at the time was just like the epitome of like this cool, suave, talented man that I wanted to be, you know, who had the, mm. who was just wooing this, this woman and it's just got this great beat. And, uh, I still dance to it today. I mean, I'm going to have to listen to the original because I think I only know this, this remix version. Yeah. So it, it was, it was like the, it was the suave, saucy sex appeal. Yeah. That really got, got you going. Yeah. And I even like my mom really enjoyed how much I loved this song. And, you know, we'd put it on in the living room and I would dance to it. She'd turn the volume up and I would, um, I dress, I would dress up like in my dad's like blazer and other manly items of clothing that I could find. Gender. To just, yeah, to just like, yeah, just do this little music video of my own. And it was so much fun. And she would just love it. My mom would just really enjoy how much I enjoyed it. So it was this space of like gender exploration from like a very young age that felt celebrated. Yes, exactly. Mm. Yeah meaningful yeah. moment i'd yeah. say my equivalent of that was um patsy klein's walking after midnight when i would lip sync it for the other kids at daycare <laughs> oh, that's amazing my very first lip sync performance yes okay saba you have contributed two important items into the queer asian poke deck karishma kapoor's role in dilta pagohe and the song makala bala damn it that's not it <laughs> makabala no. Makabala. Makabala. Okay, I was saying it just the wrong emphasis. Okay. Makabala from yeah. Bombay, 1995. Yeah. The, the remix, not in the Pokedex, but still a banger. Definitely worth yeah, listening yeah. to. <laughs> Which means it's, we've reached the pivotal final moments of the podcast where I ask you to tell the people how to find you, where to hunt you down if you want to be found. If you don't want to be found, keep it quiet. <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, if you search Sabah Chowdhury on Instagram, it's at sabah.c. 
Um, or you can find my blog, some free resources, other bits of writing on my website. You can type in Sabha Chowdhury, that's S-A-B-A-H-C-H-O-U-D-R-E-Y dot com forward slash link, L-I-N-K. Fantastic. And now the final moment, the actual final moment is I ask you to say farewell to the listeners in whatever form you so choose, whether it be words, without words, in song, in English, not in English, whatever you want to say, your final words of, of, of farewell, of so long. I want to wish everyone uh, Ramadan Mubarak and I want to uh, send a lot of warmth and solidarity to everyone listening. Alafis, uh, farewell, take care. You are all precious gems. And that does it for another episode of Bitten Peach Pod. For anyone fasting during Ramadan, I hope that biting into this was satisfying for you. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please, please share it out. Get our stories out into the world. Share it on your social media. Email it to your grandma. I don't care. Just get out the word. Find us on Instagram at Bitten Peach Pod, and we'll see you next week. Lip piercings, mullet, let's go to Brighton.